Hello and welcome to the faculty interview. Covering the latest breakthroughs, research news and insight, delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. In this interview, Christine Jones, discusses Welsh grammar you really need to know. Jones also explores how geography has played a key role in the difference between Welsh dialects. Welsh is the oldest surviving language in Britain. Uh, the history extends over 15 centuries. It's spoken by just over half a million speakers in Wales, um, around 20% of the population. Um, Welsh belongs to the Celtic branch of Indo-European, which was spoken in Central Asia about 6,000 years ago. Um, and the Welsh language is derived from the Brythonic form of Celtic, which was a language spoken by Britons who lived in mainland Britain before the Angles and the Saxons and the Jutes and so forth in the 4th and 5th centuries. Um, the closest relatives of, of Welsh are the other key Celtic languages as they're known, namely Cornish and also Breton. And then the evolution of Welsh from Brythonic is believed to have occurred about uh, 600 AD. And then after that, Welsh evolved further. It, it, it evolved into being the language of, of learning and culture in Wales during the 11th century onwards. Um, and it became known as Middle Welsh rather than the Old Welsh of the previous uh, period. And Gradually, however, the English language became more dominant, with the Act of Union of 1536 stating that only English should be used in the courts of Wales. Uh, the danger to the Welsh language was averted, however, by the Protestant Reformation, um, in that the Bible was translated into Welsh in 1588. And the language of the Bible was markedly different to the spoken language, and so began the creation, if you like, of a, of a standardized national language rather than lots of sort of fragmented dialects. Uh, books were published to show the richness of the language. And Griffith Robert, who was a, a Welsh exile in Milan, he published the first grammar book in, in, in Welsh during the Renaissance period. During the 18th century then, religion continued to strengthen the Welsh language and schools were set up, generally circulating schools, um, which made obviously the uh, people of Wales more literate in, in, in Welsh and in written Welsh as well as spoken Welsh. The 19th century then, of course, saw the Industrial Revolution. There were further changes um, as people both from within Wales and beyond moved to the industrial areas of South Wales uh, primarily. Uh, and English once more was seen as the language of the future. In 1852, for example, the inspector of schools announced that it was socially and politically desirable that the Welsh language be erased. And in many schools, a board called the Welsh Knot uh, was hung around the necks of children who were caught speaking Welsh. The early part of the 20th century saw migration on a different scale as individuals, of course, following the Great War, moved to England to look for work. By the 1961 census, only a quarter of the population spoke Welsh, but there have been extensive positive developments since, since then, which have increased the status of Welsh. Um, they began, to a certain extent, with the first Welsh secondary school, which was established in the 1950s, and approximately a quarter of all Welsh schools are now defined as Welsh medium schools. 
and since 1988, Welsh as a first or second language has been compulsory up to the age of 16 across Wales. Many university courses now are taught either totally through the medium of Welsh or in part through the medium of Welsh. The Welsh Assembly was established in 1997 and in 2011 the Welsh language measure was passed and this made Welsh an officially recognised language of Wales. In 2016, the Welsh Government launched a strategy to reach one million Welsh speakers by 2050. And this campaign is being widely embraced across Wales. The workplace, family and schools are seen really as the main target areas to ensure this ambitious target is achieved. There's quite a bit of division. Um, as, you, as you rightly say, the Bible um, was translated into Welsh, and this is, is considered the sort of the formal written Welsh. And this was used for many, many years. I mentioned at the start early editions of Teach Yourself Welsh um, in the same series as this grammar. And those early editions um, in the 1960s and so forth used the formal short verbal forms. Um, and these what would have been practiced in schools and uh, learned through rote learning, I guess, um, up to the 1950s and 1960s. And then in the 1960s, um, because of divisions, uh, Cymraeg Bill was created. Now, Cymraeg Bill translates as live in Welsh. Um, it, it says what, what it does, I guess. It was created as a means of simplifying the grammar and making the language easier for learners. Um, Bridging the gap was the idea between more formal language of religion and, as I say, colloquial Welsh, which was often influenced by English or by local dialects. Now, um, the divisions began then in that some embraced it, others did not. Uh, some individuals found it rather artificial, um, although, of course, society has changed, language has evolved also, and so more informal language today is used in documents, novels, and the like. Uh, but it's still often a compromise, if you like, between the standard formal forms and day-to-day -day variations. Um, this nowadays, in general, is the type of language used in language textbooks. Um, it's easily understood, and it is used across Wales, and um, it, 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 for that reason, it, 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 is, very, it is very useful. Um, it's what I've used, for example, in the grammar, um, although reference is made every so often to formal written Welsh uh, where relevant. Now, as regards which is best, when I undertake oral recordings, which I do quite often for uh, dialect research, I sometimes find individuals nervous and you get comments like, oh, but I don't speak proper Welsh. Um, individuals may refer to their Welsh in a variety of ways. For example, I've heard things like kitchen Welsh, chip shop Welsh, or Cymraeg pot jam, uh, and that literally means sort of jam pot or jam jar Welsh. Uh, in other words, a mixture of forms, as I suggested earlier. Um, and this feeling in relation to the inferiority of everyday Welsh is something that is ingrained deep in history. Um, although, thankfully, the tendency to think this way appears to be lessening, as the importance of being able to speak Welsh, if only a few words, is seen as something to be valued and appreciated. Um, especially, as I mentioned earlier, with the focus on the million speakers by 2050. There's the idea that everyone is on the bilingual bus, which is, which is good. Um, that said... 
It is common to be confident in speaking Welsh, but far less confident writing in Welsh due to the use of different forms when writing, and they are often seen as uh, very, very different in that sense. Many people have heard of the mutations in Welsh, and um, it's a characteristic of the Celtic languages that certain consonants are subject to change at the beginning of words. Um, as I say, they're known as uh, mutations. And in Welsh, the mutation system affects nine consonants in all. There are 29 letters in the Welsh alphabet, um, and those affected by mutation are C, T, P, B, D, G, M, double L, which is a letter in Welsh, and R, H, which is a letter, a letter in Welsh. Now, there are three different mutations in Welsh, uh, and so I've decided to, to sort of just talk you through these. The most common is the soft mutation. It occurs in a wide range of instances. I think there's something like 31 in total, which I list in the, in, in the book, along with the examples. Um, common instances include feminine single nouns, because every noun in, in, in uh, Welsh, like French, uh, and other European languages is masculine or feminine. So, uh, for example, uh, merch is the Welsh word for girl. It mutates after Y, the definite article, so E, so merch becomes Ewerch. The M at the start of merch turns into an S, which is pronounced as a V, Ewerch. Adjectives after feminine single nouns also mutate. Cat in Welsh is calf. Small in Welsh is bach. Small cat, the adjective comes after the noun in Welsh, so it's calf. Bach. So the Bach from small as mutated is changed to an S. I won't go through all 31 of these, but I'll move on instead to the second mutation in Welsh, which is the nasal mutation. And that affects six of these nine consonants I suggested earlier. They are C, T, B, P, D, and G. There are not so many examples of the nasal mutation, and I uh, list three main instances in the book. Um, and one of the most common instances is after the word un, which means in, in a place. Un itself changes, and the initial consonants of the place it precedes also change. So that Cardiff, which is Caerdydd in, in, in Welsh, would be said as Unhaerdydd with ng at the start. Um, as I say, ng hairdiv would be in Cardiff. Caer is another example, which is Chester in Welsh. It would be ng hair. Sometimes these can be real tongue twisters in the early stages of language learning, but they soon roll off the tongue um, with ease. Uh, and as with the soft mutation, the advice I give, uh, give my students is to memorize phrases, obviously, not individual consonant changes, because it's much easier then to apply the rules to other words and to other constructions. The third mutation, then, is the aspirate mutation. And this only affects three consonants, namely T, C, and B, which change to TH, PH, and CH. Many instances of it are no longer in common usage. 
accepting formal written Welsh. But there are others that remain in daily use, such as the use of the mutation following the word and, which is ah, just a simple a in Welsh. Dog and cat would be ki a chath. The a for and has caused the cat to go to chath. Paper and pencil, paper a pencil. Pencil has gone to pencil. Sometimes dictionaries give the mutated form of words. If they don't, I advise my learners to think carefully as to whether or not their words they are looking for could be a mutated form. The mutations may appear daunting at first, but the main rules can usually be mastered relatively quickly. I also stress to those I teach not to worry too much about the mutations. What is important especially orally, is that they use the language. No one will criticise them if they don't get every mutation correct. Welsh is very different to English, and we all tend to think in the language that we're more familiar with. And one example of, 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 of this where we should sort of think outside the box, I guess, or think differently and not sort of compare languages, is noun clauses. Now, they can be difficult in that a noun clause, to begin with, is the subject or object of a verb in the main clause of a sentence. And to give you an example here, doing credi is I think. Credi is the verb to think. You'll notice the Latin elements come through a lot of these. Um, I think that the book is very long would be doing credi, but a shiver, which is the word for book, and here, yawn. Here is long. Now, although board and also vote after a concise form of the verb, in such instances can be thought of as that, I think that the book is very long, they shouldn't be considered a direct translation of that, of course, as one can leave that out of the English sentence, as we know, and it'll still make sense. I think the book is very interesting. Doing credit, board a shiver and here, yawn. In Welsh, however, that board is an integral part of the sentence, and it takes the place of the word my, M-A-E, which is the third person present of the verb to be in Welsh. For example, if you were saying the book is long, you'd say my'r llyfr yn hir. So a common mistake amongst learners is to include both board and my when constructing noun clauses. In other words, uh, one often hears something like, doing credit, board my shibir and here. As I say, this is incorrect. It comes in part from translating literally. We've kept, uh, we've put in board, but we've also kept my. Um, the my should be re removed. And as I say, noun clauses are difficult uh, to comprehend. Uh, so for my second example, I've chosen an, an, uh, an extension of the above, if you like, and I'm going to turn now to noun clauses in the imperfect tense. Now, in noun clauses in the imperfect tense, board takes the place of roid. It took the place of my in the present tense, and it now takes the place of roid in the imperfect tense. And 
Rive is the third person, singular verb form, once again. For example, we had Rive in Creddy bought a shiver and here. He believed, because it's Rive this time, he believed, Creddy once more, bought a shiver and here, that the book was long. There's a natural tendency to include Rive, as I say, loosely translated as was in the middle of the sentence. So one might say, Roy den Kredi bought my a sliver and here. But one doesn't need the my, it's just Roy den Kredi bought a sliver and here. A somewhat simpler example to finish, but one that can cause uncertainty in the earliest stages of language learning is the difference between the two adverbs of time. Bis and erioid. Both mean never and ever, but they are used in different circumstances and they're not interchangeable. Erioid refers to all completed actions and it also occurs with the past tense. For example, BSE erioid unhumbry would translate as I have never been to Wales. Note Cymru, the word for Wales, has been mutated there to Unhumru, which goes back to my discussion on the nasal mutation or already discussed. Biesieroid Unhumru. I have never been to Wales. This can sometimes be used with a verb in the past tense. It's referring to a specific time in the future also. For example, I never heard from her again. This refers to actions that are ongoing. Consider the well-known phrase, Cymru am Bith, Wales forever. Bith is used with the present, imperfect, conditional and future tense. To conclude, grammar is nothing to fear. Uh, it's the building blocks, as I've tried to show here. It's the building blocks which, once linked together, make up the framework of a language. The idea being that they help the learner to construct language instinctively and hopefully then communicate with confidence. <laughs>